Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Leadership Revealed. I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled to welcome today's guest, Marlene Chisholm, who has wrote an absolute exceptional book, uh, From Conflict to Courage. Um, we're going to put all the links in the description below, um, but I just want to say thank you, Marlene, for coming on, and how are you doing? Oh, thank you so much for having me, and I'm really excited about this conversation. Excellent, excellent. So for the, for our listeners and watchers who haven't come across you before, can you just give us a, an overview of yourself, the book, your background? I'm an a author and a consultant. My book is From Conflict to Courage. I have three other books as well, so this is my fifth one. Um, and I view myself as a consultant, which includes training and development, um, advice giving, consulting, uh, just the whole realm that's under the umbrella of consulting. And I work with leaders that want to create drama-free cultures that drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. So obviously conflict can be a costly mistake if we're not careful. So that's where the book comes in. Awesome. Um, I mean, it's a real, real big topic at the moment. All this, There's a lot of conflict and drama going on in various workplaces. Um, can you just give us a bit of an overview about how to identify it, how, how to deal with it? I mean, you talk about the inner game, the outer game, the culture, the three years. I mean, it's there's a huge amount that we can talk about. Yeah, so one of the premises of the book that I start out with is I want people to understand that conflict itself is not the problem. It will feel like it's a problem because there will be facts, there will be situations, there will be that one person. We all have those people in our lives and we'll say that's a problem and I'm, I'm worried about it. I want to avoid it or I'm going to squash this. And we think of it as this big problem. But if we can shift our thinking and not to the fact of embrace conflict, I'm not saying Saying that I'm saying mm. face it and understand that conflict itself is not the problem. The real problem is mismanagement. So if mismanagement is the problem, once we learn how to identify conflict and manage it differently, then we just get to be better leaders, have better lives. It improves every facet of our lives. So that's the first component is that conflict is not the problem. Mismanagement is. So it's almost accepting that whatever industry you're in, whatever business, conflict is going to happen. And as you said, just, just accept it and just come up with the better tools and the techniques to, to deal with it. Yes, and part of it is how you, um, how you define it as well. Um, and I jokingly say I can have conflict without anyone else in the room. I can have conflict. I call it the inner conflict. And the, another principle is that there's no conflict really unless there's an inner conflict first. And a lot of people have not heard that, but here's what I mean. Let's say that you and I need to have a conversation because we've had some stuff between us that haven't gone really well and I'm feeling it. It's bugging me. And I'm now thinking that you're against me and I'm gossiping about you did this and you did that. And I think that in my head and, and someone says, well, you need to go talk with him. And I say, yeah, but I'm going to be on this podcast and I'm afraid he might cancel me if, if I talk with him. So now I've got an inner conflict. And so we have to, first of all, recognize the thing that's holding us back is that this fear that we're going to be rejected or that we're going to lose our temper or that the other person is going to feel a certain way. So one way I'm trying to help people understand conflict is to say, Rather than thinking of conflict as win or lose, 
I need to do something that's going to ruin the relationship. Think of conflict as there's a lot of unknowns within it. For example, you, the other person has hidden drives, desires, and demands, just like I have desires, demands, and drives. So it's like two arrows going in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And if I now see it that way and depersonalize it, and it's not about what they did or my interpretation of that, I can now get curious and to say, you know, what's driving me on this is, am I really just kind of needing to be right? Or do I want them to understand me? And once I understand my own drive, I can say, it's not that important that they understand, they'll have to get over it. Or I might say, I know what my drive is, but apparently they don't think it's that interesting. So let me find out what's driving them. What's their demand? What's their desire? Because in that curiosity now, I'm, I'm looking at things differently in a, in a way that we can collaborate or that I can be understood where I find myself the most challenged is that sometimes I'm not aware of my own desires, that I want to win the point or that I want to be right or that I have egoic needs that I that are blind spots. And so I think if we can just understand and agree, even in principle, that there's an inner conflict first, that helps us to take a step back and stop blaming other people. So it's, it's self-awareness, isn't it? It's like knowing what your part and what the issue might be. Would that be fair to say? It is fair to say because we are in it with someone else. And so if I have a resentment against someone else, I have a conflict because it doesn't feel good to think that about other people because we're all connected. So if I have a conflict, the conflict belongs to me. They may not even know it. And yet in my mind, the way I'm interpreting it is if they would do this or they should do that, or I would never do this to them. But the real conflict is within me which makes me be responsible for it. So then it's about me having a conversation or deciding to let it go. Mm. And, and that sort of ties in with the, the outer game as well. Is that, is that everybody else's? Yeah, the outer game, what I talk about in the book, I talk about three parts to building conflict yeah. capacity. So the idea is that if conflict is not a problem, it's it's the man the mismanagement that is. In order to manage it more effectively, we have to expand our, our capacity for it. And so there's three parts to that. And I'll speak about it in terms of leadership, because outside of leadership, it may not, the third component may not be as as important. But the first component is what I call the outer game. And a lot of companies will give some development and education on what I call the outer game, which is the skills development, whether it's LinkedIn learning. I have several programs on there with difficult conversations, anger management, and people will like go to the back end and say, oh, this has changed my life. And I'm glad if it has, but it will only change your life if you practice it. So you can know about it and it can answer questions for you and you'll feel like you've got the answer to the Holy Grail. But the truth is that's the outer game. That's me learning, memorizing, having some scripts, some tips and whatnot. Ask for what you want instead of talking about what you don't want. That's That's a tool. That's a tip. It keeps it more positive. But if in an argument you forget to do that and then you blame the other person, what that means is your inner game is lacking. And the inner game is your capacity, the bad feelings that come when you're learning something new, the aversion, the the desire to get better, the looking inward, the self-awareness. So you can have all the tools and tips in the world. You can have a thousand certifications all over LinkedIn, but if you haven't worked on it and felt certain things that you don't want to feel, you're not going to be that capable because you'll be stretched thin whenever, whenever Mm -hmm. you're really tried. And that's the same thing as if you're hungry, thirsty, tired, your capacity is, is smaller. 
So your capacity is about this ability to, to encompass all that, that conflict has to teach. And then as far as in an organization, the third component is the culture. And the culture is not just the beliefs that govern behaviors. It's the way we do things on the inside and get along so that we can survive on the outside. So what is the culture? Is the culture such that you might be able to lead in one kind of culture because it demands that of you, but you wouldn't be able to in a different kind of culture. So for example, if the senior executives bring you in as a change agent and they say, we, we really have some conflict, we need to like have more straight talk, we need to really confront what we would call here the, the elephant in the room. So you come in under that understanding, but when you try to, your work is not supported by senior management because they truly just want everybody to get along and they want they don't want to talk about problems. Mm. So from that perspective, even though you as the person hired to make these changes have the internal capacity, you're okay with conflict, you understand people will be upset, you know that it doesn't have to be long lasting. And even though you have perfect skills, you also don't really need to be liked. You, you know that you have change to make. If that's not supported, you will become an enemy number one and it will not last. So the culture has to support the things they're training you to do. And I've been hired before to come in and give training on performance conversation, but I could already tell that the top leadership was not going to support that work because they, their own behaviors were not in alignment with what, with what they're asking me to teach, which mm -hmm. means they won't support their middle managers to do what I'm telling them to do. It's the same with all leadership, isn't it? It's gotta be top down. If it's not, then everything else is gonna fall apart. There's a lot of holes in well, the net. I think there's some changes that can made on a departmental level to a degree. I really do. I believe that a strong person with yes. a clear you know, decision can make some changes. But usually from what I've seen, whoever has the power and the authority can derail something. So it's better, it's easier to change things once there's this, it's, it's just like saying, can the kids change mom and dad or do mm -hmm. mom and dad, mom and dad are the leaders, they're the decision makers, they're the ones with the wisdom and the guiding principle. So if the two parents are not in alignment, the children are going to fight. Can one child that's really brilliant change the parents in fairy tales? <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's consultants that would argue with it and they really promote bottom up type of change. And while it's true that everybody has to be engaged and, and people help uh, support what they create, that is true. But there still has to be some allowance of that, some support of that, because I could not come in and teach something in an organization that the top managers are not willing to support when someone tries to have a conversation and su suppose they try to discipline someone that's not performing or behaving appropriately. Well, if that person is the CEO's nephew or niece and they say, well, no, they're untouchable, then the training didn't work and the training didn't work because of the cultural influences. So how would, because the majority of people that, that watch this podcast uh, are small business owners, anywhere between a couple of staff up to something like 50. So they might not be doing the, the conflict or the difficult conversations. How do you get, how do you get okay with conflict, with, with conflict? How do you, how do you understand that it's not going to be the end of the world? How do you have those difficult conversations or at least get better at having them? Yeah, I mean, this this work that I do is just as relevant for your personal life or small businesses as it is for yeah. large corporations. In fact, I work more in the moderately sized, middle sized, or even with franchises and so on. The, the key is leadership clarity. Uh, the, the leader sets the tone for the clarity. And so I really talk about that concept a lot in the book. And the way that I'm defining leadership clarity is 
the ability to look at and define and articulate the situation, the outcome, and the perceived or real obstacles. Because until you have a clear understanding of the situation and a clear understanding of what you're trying to accomplish or where you're trying to go, until you have those two points of reference, it's really difficult to get real movement with a team approach because people don't understand what they're there for. They don't understand what they're trying to achieve. And so often, and this is even true of large nonprofits or larger businesses that call me just for a little component of training or something like that. They may call me with what they perceive to be a really big problem and they already have figured out what they want to do. They'll say, we need a new and new full day workshop because these two groups are not getting along. And we also need to have like a new engagement officer or whatever. And so that is what I yeah. call getting stuck on the rock called how you think you figured out what the problem is. And you think because I've written a book, I can come in and with one eight hour commitment, everybody's going to change. And that's simply not the truth. If you've got the money and the funding for that kind of thing, and you just want that, that's one thing. But the reality is the first step of it is leadership clarity. And you as a leader might need to have some conversations that you've been avoiding. And that's the real problem. You think that it's the kids, but it's really the parents, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's all—it's almost it, it, like you said. It started us with the leadership, and that will eventually help us have those difficult conversations. If you have the skill sets and you're willing to be uncomfortable, but I think there's some blind spots that have to be uncovered too. Um, there was, for example, one organization I was talking with, and and uh, the one of the top people said well, the head of the organization is such a nice guy and he's, he's been the head of many different organizations. But the problem is that when people come to him because he's got an open door policy, which is great, but when they come to him, they'll ask for a decision on something that should be made by their supervisor, their director instead of him. And he doesn't see his blind spot. And I would assume that this is partially from his identity of wanting to be seen as approachable and nice. Okay, I'm a high paid guy, I'm at the top, but I'm still nice, my door is still open, so come to me. And if I can say yes to you, then I get favor. But what he's not realizing, the blind spot there is that in terms of organizational effectiveness, that's hurting the leader below you. Mm -hmm. So you see what I'm saying? Those are those blind spots of what we do based on our own identity and our own demands, drives, and desires that we're not aware of that is causing conflict, even appeasing, appeasing. I talk about the three A's, avoidance, um, aggression, and appeasing, avoidance, appeasing, aggression. That's sort of our defense mechanisms or how we mismanage conflict. And so like some leaders, many of us know that we don't like conflict no bones about it. We don't feel ashamed about it. Don't like it. I avoid it at all costs. So I avoid it. I know that causes me some problems, but I don't realize how much it causes because the effect, there's a lag time. So I don't really see it sometimes, maybe even till after I'm gone or someone replaces me. Then there's appeasing, which is what I just told you. Well, of course, that's a great idea. Why don't you go do that? Or we agree, we want you to be engaged. So we're going to tell you that that's a great idea when in reality, it's not feasible for us to take on that idea. And I don't want to hurt your feelings or keep you from giving ideas. So I'm going to say it's great. And we'll talk about it next quarter. Next quarter rolls around. They're ready for their place in the spotlight. You've forgotten all about it because you were appeasing. You didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the aggression. And I, I, tell everybody that's typically where I land and it's something I'm working on but aggression is also avoidance because aggression is I'm done talking about it I'm at capacity my way or the highway 
And it takes a different capacity to slow it down and to be more patient and to hear and to even tell someone, I'm feeling really like tired from this and I do want to stay in the conversation, but like right now is not the time for me. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm working on because I have the awareness of when I'm at capacity. And sometimes that's because I've already thought something through and I really already know where I want to go with something. I'm just wanting someone to agree, but instead I open it up for a conversation. And then when they're off into left field, I, I just kind of lose it. Mm -hmm. That's just self-awareness, you know, that people that are high driven or that they've already thought something through deeply, you may have to put on your awareness hat and say, let me take a breath because they may be on a different page. And so I need to have the capacity to deal with this when I talk with them, or if I get a boomerang or a, a blindside, I need to be able to take a breath and not just jump because I typically am fairly reactive and kind of a quick thinker, which is not always good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's good sometimes to take that break and to let something settle before you jump to your assumption that you think is correct. Yeah. One point I want to sort of chat about there, and, and I think it's absolutely brilliant, is, is where um, when people come to you direct and you make that decision and it's, it's actually saying to your person below you to run the business, it, it sort of puts everything skew with, doesn't it? And people don't know where they stand. I've got my managing director who who's manages all the managers. If anybody comes direct to me, I'll say, well, what did what did Adele say? Well, I haven't spoke to her. You, you need to go sit, speak to Adele. What that says to from in my perspective to Adele is you're running the show. I'm not going to be stepping on your toes. And, and I think it's just a nice leadership to have that solid hierarchy. It doesn't mean that they can't speak to me, but if it's anything that needs a decision, and I'll say, well, what what is what's your manager said? Yes. And, and really, maybe sometimes that person needs to be coached a little bit. Mm. You know, like you say, well, I'm sensing that maybe you're afraid to talk with, you know, you haven't talked with your manager. Is there some reason that you yeah. wanted to give me the heads up first? I'm curious. And I'm not against you going for this decision, getting it, not getting it. Thanks for updating me. But, you know, the, the chain of command, so to speak, and that's how we keep everybody in alignment. It's not based on power. It's really just based on we need to stay in alignment. That's how we do things. That's how we're efficient. You know, would it be helpful if she came in here with you? I mean, is that something that you're, mm -hmm. you can at least ask because sometimes there's a conflict that's like brewing underneath stuff like that. And it's really scary for the employee when they're having a conflict with their direct manager. I, I think that's just such a hard place to be in. So I don't really, I haven't really thought about this in depth as to how do you how do you deal with those kinds of things? That's why sometimes employees will go around as they feel like they're always going to get a no. And part of that is employees don't have the skills because I was an employee once. And I know that I got into a situation like that where I, this is right before I started the career I have now, which I've had for a little over 20 years. I wanted to feel what it would be like to have off for six weeks. I was a factory worker. So I worked on the, the lines of, of craft foods in the factory doing everything from stacking skid, you know, stacking product, uh, using a forklift, tearing down equipment presentation, all the blue collar stuff. But I was developing myself and I had this idea, but I didn't know what it would be like not to have every moment filled up with what you're supposed to do. So I just had this idea that I wanted to take off for six weeks. And, you know, you get family medical if you say that you've got a medical emergency, you're taking care of a loved one or you're ill. And I thought, why? I was really idealistic back at this time, but I thought, why not just tell the truth? If you're off, it doesn't matter why you're off. You're still not there. What does it really matter? I'm just going to be honest, which I did. And I went to my supervisor first, chain of command. He said, it's okay with me. You just need to go to HR. Now, I believe now that he was appeasing because he didn't think I would get it. 
right? So I went to HR and HR said, it's okay with me if it's okay with your boss. I said, he said, it's okay. And they said, okay. Then the S hit the fan because then the business unit manager came in and you could see all three, the business unit manager, the HR person, my boss in this glass room talking with each other and like shaking their fingers. They brought me into the room and they said, this is an unrealistic request. I said, I have been through every channel. You said yes. She said, as long as you said yes. And he said, well, you tricked me. And I said, you said yes, nonetheless. He said, nonetheless, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I got to experience that from an employee level. Everybody passes the buck instead of talking about it together like they need to, to to discuss with the person who's trying to be honest about what their desires are. There's sort of this hands-off leadership and appeasing like, well, I know you're not going to get that. So I'm going to tell you to go to HR. HR says, what does your boss say? My boss said, okay, well then, okay. And it turned into this biggest thing. And the good news of it was they ended up letting me off with that length of time for no pay and um, letting me try it. And I was honest with them. And I remember that the business unit manager said, well, you know, Marlene, he goes, that's just not the way things work. He goes, if I had my way, I'd be in Florida digging worms on a worm farm for fishing. And I said, well, then you should go for it because life is short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just felt like I was so awakened at that time of like not wanting to work in a factory any longer. And I just had this idealistic view that you can do whatever you want. You just need to go for it and not let anything stop you. And I was living that reality. And I'm a little more cynical now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, that's not the way culture works, right? That I, I overcame it by my own clarity. So that's why I say the one with clarity navigates the ship. So even in a big company, Yes, one person can change things, but it's unusual and unlikely. I think the avoidance and the appeasement thing is really, really super relevant because I think the majority of small business owners just, we all do. Everybody likes to be liked. Nobody wants to walk into a workplace and have, you know, conversations about them behind the back. So I think small business owners will will try and be the friends. And I always say you can be friendly, but don't be friends with your team because there's a big difference. Um, and I see a lot of mistakes when people start going for drinks or meals on the night out or have the families round and um, the avoidance. I think it's mostly avoidance. I, I, I'll let them get away with it. I won't have that difficult conversation. Um, and it's and I don't think people realise, but it's them that are driving the culture and the business and it's a negativity and it's never going to get better unless they change. Yeah, it is. Um... It's funny because I do teach a skill for what if you've let something go on for too long, because that awareness is like, uh uh-oh. I mean, I know that if I have the conversation, they're going to say, well, why didn't you say something two years ago then? You've let Sally and Bill and Mike and June, everybody's, and it's going to turn into this verbal ping pong of, yes, I did. No, you didn't. That's not fair. How dare you? It's going to turn into that. So what I teach leaders to do once they realized, and once they have the awareness that, uh, Oops, it's so easy to really like people. And you can still really like people, but those drinks and dinners need to be kind of planned. Special occasions, this still business, but we're going to do this. It's not like we just, hey, let's just go out for drinks after work. You're going to struggle at some point because you're going to have to have a loyalty to your business and that's going to be a problem. And you're going to find yourself resentful if you keep sacrificing your your business for personal needs. It's going to become very dysfunctional. So the way that I teach that is to, create a fresh slate. And, it, and I, I use a, a principle I call the labor principles. Listen, ask for what you want, set boundaries, own your stuff and represent yourself. But with the labor principles on this deal, you start with owning your parts. You'll say, 
if it's a group meeting, you say to everybody, if it's a group thing, if it's a one person, you deal with that one person. Don't have global conversations where it's just one person that's yeah. doing having the problem. But let's say that it's everybody and you've allowed it. You become too close. It's become dysfunctional. It's disruptive. You've lost a couple of client accounts because you were too lenient. And now you're furious and you feel like they've taken advantage. You got to clean up your energy and take ownership first. That's what you've got to do. You've got to have the intention of getting the ship righted instead of getting everybody in trouble because it won't help you. You've just got to have it for the purpose of the business and for the purpose of realigning the team. And then you get together and you say, hey, everybody. I want to talk about the recent client that we lost and what we're going to have to do to, to clean this up. So first of all, I'm going to own my part. I've been allowing us to come in two and three hours late, staying out late drinking. I, I've done it. I did it because I enjoy your company. But there's a new sheriff in town. And here's what we're going to do in the future. And this is a clean slate. I'm not even going to start blaming and naming. I'm just going to say I helped to create it. I thought it was neat that we all got along. But in the future, here's where we have to be. And if you don't understand this, this is what the consequence will be. Fair warning, fresh slate. So that's how you clean that up. Because it's not fair to set a boundary if they don't know that the boundary needs to be set. You have to first take that ownership. <laughs> of where we're changing and what I'm expecting in the future. Yeah, I love that. There has to be a consequence, doesn't there? And I think, funny enough, what you said about the parent-child analogy, I always use that. And I, I always say that, um, you know, if your child's doing something wrong, then they have to be chastised, told off, whatever. And if you don't, so I use the example, my, I've got a little six-year-old and she's got chocolate or candy all over her hands and she goes and put it on the wall and I'll say, don't do it, Bella, next time, next time. And she does it, or next time, you'll be fine. She's just going to do it over and over again. So there's got to be a consequence for an action or inaction if it goes against the principles or the culture of the business. Yes, because that's part of building trust. Yeah. If I say I'm going to do something, like you're going to have to take a day off without pay, and I'm not all about punishment. I'm really about learning. But it shows me that someone hasn't learned. Once you've had the conversation, they've agreed, they've signed a paper, whatever you've done to get that agreement, that understanding. And then it happens again three weeks later. It means that in some way, either it didn't stick, they don't believe you, they know that you like them, they found an exception, and you've got to show that you mean business. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't want to have to suffer and do the extra work we've got to do. And that's really what it boils down to. Mm. Well, shorthanded. And if, if I take them off for a day, that means I'm going to be working the front counter. I'm going to be working the phones or we're going to have to delay this meeting. You just got to do it because it's really important that you manage that culture on the inside really important yeah at the minute i don't know what it's like in the us but they've, they've actually got a name for, for the employment situation at the minute it's been called the great resignation where, yes. where people are just putting their notice in and either not work and going completely out the industry and there's some big money's been thrown around for people who are not not the most highly skilled in the world but because amazon <clears throat> up in the northeast have just put six huge huge new depots and they're paying ridiculous wages. So the people, I'm not saying our guys and girls are going there, but it's just really tough to hold on to them. What would you say to any of our viewers or, or, or listeners who are, are quite nervous about bringing in this conflict management in case they lose people? Yeah, it's scary. And like, you know, I always say this is one of those times where I'm in the workshop, so I've got the answers. I don't have the great big business, so I don't have the consequence. I can give advice, but like, you know, could I do yeah. it if I I don't know. I know the answer because I'm in the workshop right now. So I'll give you my workshop answer. 
this is what I believe is happening. I think it's just rebalancing. It'll shift back. It's just, it's, it's sort of a, the teeter totter is just unbalanced. And we always go through that when there's some kind of a change, it's good to be awakened that employees need to be treated better and that they mm-hmm. need to have more say. I mean, that's not a bad awakening. It's just that the teeter totter has just flipped upside down and we're just going to be there for a little while. It won't be there forever, but here's kind of what I'm seeing in the field. And it's just sort of a, it's sort of an intuitive hit while there's a leak in the boat, we keep adding more rowers. And we can't keep the rowers because there's a leak in the boat. Mm-hmm. So plug the leaks. In other words, spend money on the resources, help out during lunch hours. Like I'm thinking of something specific right now, so I'm just going to share it. My mom is in long-term care. She's in a nursing home right now. It's hard to get CNAs. It's hard to keep the staff. It's hard to be fully staffed. At the same time, one reason it's hard to be fully staffed is because of turnover. And what I think the turnover is due to is poor leadership. And I think there's good people that are that could be good leaders. I just think they're missing a few elements here. So I'm not judging them. I'm just saying they're really missing things as I look at it from the outside. For example, two people to take care of 39 elderly, sick, obese people, you know, whatever their issue may be, is too much. So during lunchtime, why don't the people from the office come and help deliver lunches? In other words, give the resources to the people that are already there instead of complaining that you can't keep it staffed and putting all your outside influence. There's a leak in the boat. Plug the leak. And it, you've got to be juggling balls, really. It's sort of like you've got to plug that leak and give them, bring lunch in. Do what you can to make them feel supported. So they're like, oh, it's hard, but, but we're appreciated. We're going to work here. And the office people are helping you out when they can. Like we can't today, but we will tomorrow. Like do those things first and then you'll attract and keep. Because the thing is to keep people. And right now, all this is about, okay, you're here. I'm going to take I'm going to take advantage of you while you kill yourself to make my profits. It doesn't work that way. You've yeah. got to give resources, whether that's software, equipment, volunteers other help so that the people that are there feel like they want to stay that is one of the big problems right now yeah i think it also sends a message message that we're all in this together as well and again it goes back to your inner outer in the culture it, it it's just strengthens that culture yeah but it's so easy to be like just putting out the fire you know and instead of taking the matches away it's yeah. sort of like we're just trying to go all to the outside of it as soon as we get all these employees. But the truth is all these employees that are not well-trained is not helping you, right? There's a certain slowing down and plugging the boat, pull off to the island and plug the boat. It has to happen. You'll lose some money for a while, but you're not going to get there by doing what you're doing. And so it's, it's about kind of slow down to speed up. I think that we're not doing that right now. I think that's what we need to do. And again, easy for me to say, you know, in my office, in my own little corner, in my own little chair, Mm -hmm. but it is an observation that the ones that are doing well are the ones giving the resources and support to the employees they already have. I think that's a really valid point. There's always in a, in a, a, a change situation or where there's a little bit of conflict in the wider world. If you look after your team, then that's going to benefit in the long run, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I see if you're frontline people that are supposed to be leaders, for example, in that situation, the nurses that are on that floor, if they don't see themselves as leaders, then they just see themselves as a checklist to do charting and looking at, you know, the computer and they don't see themselves as hands on because they, after all, went to school to not have to do the dirty work. 
But if they could see themselves as leaders, they would at least walk around or help out here and there just to just to lead, just to see what's going on in these rooms. But instead, their their head is in a computer and in a phone that is right there. Poor leadership, because it's making the people that are doing the heavy lifting resentful and it's making them feel like they don't want to stay. So you could do a lot even as a frontline leader, but only if you identify as a leader, not if you just identify as one of them who's just got a higher title because you got the education. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent, valid points. Um, Marlene, I've kept you long enough. I don't know what time it is over there in, in the year. <laughs> whatever you want to ask. <laughs> no, I, listen, that's absolutely brilliant. I just want to say thank you so much for this. And if anybody wants to know more, we're going to put all of Marlene's contact details and social media in the description below. From conflict to, uh, to courage, get it, guys. If you're brilliant, there you go, as if by magic. Fantastic. And you can get that on Amazon because I've checked. I've ordered mine already. Um, but listen, we're all going through a little bit of turmoil in the industry at the minute, in the real estate industry. And I think this is really, really relevant to the majority of us. So um, I just want to say, Marlene, thanks again. And uh, thanks to everybody for watching and listening on Leadership Revealed.